0: Good morning, afternoon, or evening, and welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Network. The following show is just horrifying. Beware.
1: Sheriff, you're not cheating on your wife if you eat my lemon square. Your lemon squares
2: taste like ass. And welcome back to Horror Queers. We're talking internet horror games. We're talking Poe, the stuffed lemur. And we're talking screaming during a dance number. And I'm Joe.
3: And I'm Trace. And we're talking I am a marshmallow. So hot I'm melting. Just a... That's the musical number that you scream during.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Something about the winter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: A lot of stuff going on, everyone. And we are discussing uh, a very new film, which is uncommon for the main fee, but it is Jane Schoenbrun's We're All Going to the World's Fair, which, um, who? boy, this is a movie. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, it's a sort of found footage screen life film, which is also something we don't traditionally do. This is only the third one we've ever really covered. Mm -hmm. And uh, also, Trace, let's not bury the lead. We are talking about a non-binary trans filmmaker.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you reached out to me today and you're like, have we ever covered a film with a trans filmmaker? And I, I don't. Think we have, although listeners, y'all might know better than us, so if we're missing it, just ping us. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes we go into a fugue state. We've done a lot of recordings over the couple of years. So. I used to be so good at remembering this shit, and now, like, three, and a half, three plus years in, I'm like, nope, I'm out. I, I, can't, I can't remember what we did yesterday. This is true. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
3: but, you know what, maybe we can have someone come in to help us remember things, or, I don't know, just uh, give us a good swift kick in the ass, so... <laughs> we. <laughs> <laughs> we do have a guest on tonight's episode, everyone. So she is the editor-in-chief of Dread Central and the co-host of both the Scarred for Life and Watched Once Never Again podcast. You may also recognize her voice from our previous episode on the vampire lovers. Please welcome Mary Beth McAndrews.
0: Woo! Woo. I'm so excited to be here and to talk about this movie. Ah, yes. Okay,
2: (laughs) Joe. Joe, you saw this during the festival circuit, didn't you? I did. I saw this at Sundance in 2021. Marybeth, I think you also saw then If I'm not mistaken, yeah. And I realized as soon as we were considering programming this that you were the person I had to invite on here. I'm so excited. Well, so, the, yeah, that's what I was going to say, because y'all, like, like
3: plotted behind my back. Y'all were like, okay, we're going to do mm-hmm. this film, we're going to married blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Tracy doesn't know. <laughs> More or less, <laughs> yes. Surprise! Well, so, but this is Sundance last year, right? So, 2021? Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. God, it's hard to believe it's been... Th- so, uh, this... I mean, y'all must like this movie a lot if it, like, kind of stuck with you this much.
2: I would yes. say that this really caused a fuss at the festival, which was interesting because... Schoenbrum's not a first time filmmaker she's actually had her hands in a lot of different kinds of like web things so she's not like new to the industry or anything but I felt like this film wasn't really on a lot of people's radars I think Mary Beth it was probably on yours and mine because it was represented by Kayla here who is the uh, mm. she's one of our favorite press people so she she was actively like this is a film you don't want to miss it's indie it's small but you should have it on your radar and then when it debuted, I remember a lot of people got really into it. So it caused a good buzz.
3: That's interesting. I, I, the reviews for it have been very, very positive. You know, when I go on Letterboxd and I'm like looking at what people are thinking, yes, the majority are positive, but I'm interested to see what this what happens with this film when it, well, now that it's been released. Mm-hmm. Because you'll, of course, I'm sure you all are unsurprised to hear. I've seen um one of the most boring films I've ever seen or hyperbolic reactions like, my husband may divorce me for making him watch this. Oh my god!
0: Well, good. He don't deserve him anyway. I right. I was like, bro, you have bigger
3: problems. That this movie's gonna cause a divorce. So, <laughs> <laughs> but this isn't what I would call like a, a super nah, accessible. Is a bad word for it, but it's it's a bit challenging because it is challenging you as a viewer.
0: Yeah, and also, like, it's so specifically about a moment in time that I think is for a younger audience. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Because, like, this movie is so specifically targeted at, like, me as a person who grew up on MySpace and message boards and chat rooms and, like, I used it as like an escape from my life when I like for multiple for multiple reasons and so this movie just fucking hits home and I don't know if it's going to resonate for a lot of audiences it's a very specific tone that I don't know it's going to if it's going to work for everybody
3: well and I'm glad you mentioned that too because I I watched this twice, and I found myself connecting with it more in a second viewing. But I, I wasn't really a message board person. I did do chat rooms, so I did like aim stuff a lot. But I'm, I'm very much about the immediate gratification, so message boards never appealed to me because I hated that you like you had to wait for replies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but there, there's such a sense of loneliness throughout this movie that I think that a lot of queer people can relate to.
2: Well, and I oh, think yeah. also it's the idea of like living your life performatively online, right? Yes. Like I think. I definitely agree with you, Mary, about that this is something that is going to resonate more for people who grew up in a certain time or who were engaged in certain kinds of online activities. But like as a person who is older than that and who did not engage with those kinds of things, Mm -hmm. it definitely got me reflecting about, okay, how do you present yourself online and how do you curate things and how do you engage with people and how do they think they know you? So I think this is going to work for people who are, you know, kind of always online as well.
3: Mm-hmm. It's interesting, though. I mean, because I, I know why people obviously present differently online, because it's just I mean, like it's that anonymous aspect. But mm-hmm.
0: you never catfished a boy before in a chat room?
3: No. Oops. I feel like I just said this recently on an episode, Joe, but I used to always go to this gay chat room called 123 Gay Teen Chat when I was like 15, 16, 17. And like you know, talk to other queer people or gay—what I thought were gay boys—and did a lot of dirty things with them online uh, through the chat. But I'm fairly certain 50% of the people in that chat room were pedophiles. <laughs> like in hindsight,
0: oh yeah,
3: 100%, 100%. But would y'all say that y'all today? Do you think that the image you put out online is true to who you are as a person?
0: You like, I want to say yes, but like I mm-hmm. know that's not true.
3: I don't. <laughs> sh- I mean, like, well, you I th- can answer sh- that question.
0: <laughs> well, no, but it's true. I think I. I'm online a lot. But I don't I joke I'm funnier online. And I think I'm a little mm. bit more positive online than I am in real life.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: I definitely think I portray myself as a much happier person. on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> that's fucked up, but it's true.
2: <laughs> well, that's fair. Because I mean, I know one of the things that I sometimes struggle with is when I see people who are always unhappy online i'm just kind of like oh this person like it it makes me think okay maybe you need to speak to someone in real life or like you know like i worry that people pour too much of themselves onto public places just because not like oh you're negatively sinking attention but just like oh i think you're better served getting help from people who are going to be looking out for you as opposed to just like random strangers on the internet.
3: Well, but you see though, I mean, I I agree and disagree because yeah, that's where the the anonymity of the internet or I guess the unknown of the internet comes in because there are people like people I know who I see them like, I'm like, you are so different in person. You're so much happier in person because you're Mm. always such a miserable dour person on Twitter. But how do you know if someone's doing it for attention or if they're really genuinely hurting, you know, or if it's a combination of both? And Mm -hmm. not saying there's a right or wrong to either one, it's all kind of a personal taste, but I just, I find it very fascinating, and I don't know, maybe this is unfair, but I even get annoyed when people don't have, like, when they don't have any pictures of themselves on their profile. Like, I know there's a reason for that, because, you know, whatever job you have, or maybe it's a safety issue, but at the same time, I inherently think you're hiding something,
2: you know? yeah like there there's trust issues and i mean we definitely see that in this film yes like jlb why are you using a sketch avatar literally it's a sketch it's not like oh it's a sketchy avatar it is that as well though (laughs) and it's a
3: horrifyingly terry scary terry
2: (laughs) scary sketch (laughs) indeed yeah
0: Uh, yeah that's that meme that went around for a long time too Mm -hmm. do you guys remember that meme that one around with that creepy ass face oh i hate that, that
3: i don't know so <laughs> no 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 <laughs> i don't know that <laughs>
0: yeah it was like a it was like a creepypasta thing that went around for a while that was like one of those images that would like pop up and shit everywhere and you were like I'm like no like reddit no sleep and like floor chan and stuff
3: that's why I I never okay I mean I know what creepypasta is now but like when creepypasta was like really becoming a thing I had I'd never heard of it had no idea what it was I don't think I even heard of creepypasta until one of the Slender Man movies came out a couple years ago
0: oh my brother and I were obsessed with it like Jeff the Killer and all that crazy shit that's like so fucked up like, why were we reading that in, like, in high school? But
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, Mary Beth, maybe you can just give us, like, a quick 411, because technically this film plays, like, a creepypasta, but yeah. uh, I'm sure there's people like Trace who don't entirely know what it is. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. So, creepypasta is basically, like, digital folklore. So, it's all about creepy things like Slenderman, The Rake, who originate on the internet,
1: Mm-hmm.
0: but... A lot of the time these creepy pa- creepy pasta basically is the story, but a lot of the time they become these fixtures that people think are real. So like right. Slenderman was born out of a photoshopped photo for a contest, and all of a sudden, it like became this huge sensation that people thought were real and everything. So
1: hmm. scary
0: stories that basically, Kind of take on the life of their own in terms of legend, like legend. It's kind of like the way we kind of like share legends and stuff like that now. Like that's our kind of version of those kinds of things.
3: Well, and that that is kind of the centerpiece of we're all going to the world's fair, mm-hmm. right? And it's it's interesting because uh the director didn't like wasn't involved with Creepy Pasta because uh, she predated that in terms of when she was online and stuff. But that I mean, it's kind of fascinating how that works into here. All right, everyone. Well, So normally, as you all know, our episodes follow a certain structure. You know, we'll banter like we just did and then go through some production reception and things like that and then go through the plot. Because this is a bit unorthodox for us, for covering a film that just came out a couple weeks ago. And if you haven't seen it, it is on on-demand services now, so you can go stream it in the safety of your own home. Um, <laughs> we're going to jump right into this plot and we're going to... Just have at it.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and we've got some director statements that Trace is going to bring in from Schoenbrunn as we go to kind of offer some context. And then, of course, we're also going to be doing our own readings like we normally would.
3: Absolutely. And yeah, I mean, you know, this is a film where I'm like, I don't think a lot happens... Like action-y right? But I feel like there's so there's a lot of depth in the material here that's really going to be fun to. Well, maybe not fun, but interesting to
2: unpack. <laughs> we are going to get into it, yes. Mm-hmm. So we open with a long take. There's a lot of long takes in this movie because, of course, like a lot of fan footage, the premise is that we are watching someone who has a, a fixed camera and they're recording themselves. So we open with this long take of Teenager Casey, who is played by Anna Cobb, and she is announcing to her channel's subscribers that she plans to take the World's Fair Challenge. And this is an internet horror game that uh, involves kind of like what Mary Beth was saying about Creepypastas. It's like yeah. it has a an urban legend sort of feel to it. So... So the structure that you would use is you begin by saying, I want to go to the World's Fair three times, and then you are supposed to draw blood and either show it to the camera or wipe it on your screen. And then you would watch some kind of strobe light video that has a very pulsing soundtrack. We don't actually get to see what it looks like, but we watch Casey watch it. And then at the end of it, she says, okay, that was the challenge. And I will update you if I notice any changes.
3: And this not being able to see see what's going on thing is will really be consistent throughout the movie. And I think for some people, that's going to be a bit underwhelming or even anticlimactic. But that's also kind of the point of the film. (laughs) Yeah, this shit ain't the ring. No.
0: Yeah. And like, it's very much second screen. Like you're looking at her through the webcam perspective. Like you are her looking at herself. It's weird. Like you are a reflection of her i'm getting
2: too esoteric sorry um anyway but no 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 no. do it (laughs) that is so vital mary beth because that was the thing i realized on the second watch is it's like oh we are like one of her channel's subscribers or we are like jlb but also then we are also actively watching a movie like we are the audience for a horror film and yeah yeah I know that this is a central premise of things like fan footage and second screen films, right. but it feels different here.
0: Well, there isn't like a lot of this, like a lot of second screen, like with Unfriended and The Dead, like there's a lot of graphics happening. And mm-hmm. this one is much more, Is this one's clean. Yeah. You don't see her like in a YouTube interface. You just have her in the in the screen and it feels much more intimate and much more not like we're watching her on youtube but more like we are watching her like literally we are the voyeurs through her camera not it's like more intimate than like Mm -hmm. a person watching her youtube but like we are the reflection back at herself because she can see herself recording so it's like this really intimate relationship that you don't get in a lot of movies like that
3: well, mm-hmm. and it does feel, I mean, I love both unfriended movies, and I love, like, all these screen life oh, films. Oh, yes. But, I do, too. <laughs> but, yeah, but, yeah, but at the same time, it's, like, I mean, not that it's gimmicky to, like, oh, look, let's have Skype in here, let's have Facebook in here, let's have Twitter in here, or, aim, or oh, my God, not AIM, but, like, whatever messaging system people <laughs> use. You would fucking AIM. <laughs> yeah, but but I, I like that, yeah, it's that kind of reverse screen life where we're, I mean, we do get to see some computer screens here, but it feels, it, it's less jarring, it, it pulls me out of the film less. Like, yes, I feel very much like, a part of this girl's room
2: Mm -hmm. well to me this feels more true to life like it it feels more authentic because it doesn't feel like it's been juiced up in post by like talented filmmakers who are actually just trying to make it look real like this looks like it could be real in a kind of stripped down just very like yeah intimate is the right word Beth. yes well
0: and like It's also a really awesome example of hybrid found footage, kind of like, and that's a new thing that's kind of, I think, ushering in now, because I think a lot of movies are adopting these found footage techniques, but don't want to commit to the full
1: (laughs) aesthetic.
0: But like, I am a found footage purist I sometimes don't like hybrid but after going to a found footage festival this year i and seeing this movie I have a better appreciation for that kind of hybrid technique if you do it the right way it okay. can be done terribly
3: Wait, sorry, <laughs> but- <laughs> g- g- genuine question um w- w- can you give me a hybrid film that didn't work for you
0: yeah no for sure I'm trying to think of a movie that like isn't like random obscure bullshit that I've watched on Amazon Prime. I
2: mean, can we use Paranormal Activity next of kin, which wanted to play with fan footage, but then also couldn't commit to it?
0: But sort of, but like, I'm thinking more like, when I say hybrid, I mean movies that are like, straight up, just like, straight narrative. So have you seen Evidence with uh, Radha Mitchell?
3: Oh my god, no, but I love Radha Mitchell.
0: <laughs> so, rather effective, but like, it's when you go from like, the traditional narrative filmmaking techniques to found footage and come back out. Mm-hmm. Ah. So... It's not done a ton. It's like, it's still pretty new, but it can be really clunky in terms of like, why are you going, in the deep house they do this, where it's like, looks right. like found footage, but then looks, and you're like, why the hell are we combining these two? Like, it's mm-hmm. kind of...
3: Well, because you're changing your entire visual medium.
0: Well, exactly. And your perspective is very, it's jarring, but when there's an effective transition between those things, I think it's incredibly well done. And it's okay. much more appealing to people who maybe don't like the shaky cam, yeah. but can kind of take it in a smaller dose. And I think this movie is one of those ones that plays with that really well in terms of, like, giving you the best of both worlds in an organic way that doesn't feel like a very, like, intense change in perspective.
3: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Side note, though, I I will say I know I'm in the minority here, but I actually really liked The Deep House and found it very creepy.
0: (laughs) dislike the deep house. I think mm-hmm. it was creepy. I just think the way they switched in and out of found footage was annoying at the beginning.
3: Didn't bother <laughs> me. But I, I know people hate the characters so much, but I was like, ah, whatever. I'm enjoying getting watching them get the
2: shit scared out of them, so it's fine. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's cool to watch. It's cool looking. So, mm-hmm. I mean.
2: There we go. Yeah. And, and sometimes that's a big enough hook where you can overcome shitty characters if the either conceit or the filming style is enough, right? Yeah, exactly. But your mileage may vary. But um okay. anyway, back to World's Fair. <laughs> <Sorry>. Okay. <laughs> so we get the credits and there are credits to this movie and The credits, to me, signal something really important because we don't get to see too, too much of what Casey or JLB's lives are like outside of their homes. It's a very interior-minded film for the most Mm -hmm. part. But these credits take place over a generic suburban landscape. So we're seeing freeways, we're seeing big box stores, we're seeing empty parking lots and fields. So they not only tell us kind of where we're at and like, oh, it's winter, so we know the season. But to me, it really gives off this sense of this is boring. This is homogenous. This is suburban life that we're all really familiar with. So there's nothing out here for us. The excitement is on the internet. The excitement are the connections that you can make through something like the World's Fair Challenge, because your regular environment is so fucking boring.
3: Yeah, no, I, I I mean, I've said it before, I grew up in a suburb of Houston, it didn't, it wasn't as like small as this, but I, I grew up in like, there was a suburb next to my suburb that very much looked like this, and I, it was where mm-hmm. my church was when I was growing up. So I, I was just there a lot. It just kind of immediately pulled me back into that world of like, oh yeah, like, and especially the, we have Best Buy, KFC, Toys R Us, mm-hmm. like your major brands are on display here, and it just I don't know, it's just a certain feeling that like not living in a city where I was like, ugh, I don't I don't miss that 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 life.
0: <laughs> well and all the parking lots are empty and the toys r us is closed down like it's yeah. like everything is like just dilapidated and falling apart like it feels almost yes. like a ghost town
3: mm-hmm. yeah important to note too you know, just for the credits david lowry the director of a ghost story Pete the pete dragon remake i'm sorry um and the green knight did produce this film so i'm assuming he saw something very special in this and helped like get this done oh, interesting mm-hmm
0: I was wondering I recognized that name. I was like, I know who David Lowry is, but I cannot remember for the life of me.
2: <laughs> yeah, that, that one. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we see Casey walking home in the snow, and then we watch this information video online, which labels the World's Fair the Internet's scariest horror game. And we see a lot of different like kind of reactions. We get a smidget of history about like how it kind of came together. Uh, but really we're back to Casey almost immediately. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh,
0: I love this transition so much because it's like the chaotic, annoying voice, like creepy voice on the, on the phone. Mm-hmm. And then it cuts just her in the dark like eating at the dinner table and it's so indicative of like when you're sucked into the world of like this world that you're watching and you're like enamored with it but really it's nothing like you think it feels like a spectacle and then you pull out and it's just like a boring thing and i just Mm -hmm. think it's a really cool contrast about what it looks like when we're consuming consuming technology and like that isolation of it
2: right (laughs) it's so exciting i'm sucked into my phone watching this video and then you're like oh i'm actually just sitting at my dining room table it's an average day
0: Like me and TikTok, like fucking sitting on like a chair, watching it for an hour, like enamored with it and looking up and being like, I literally just lost an hour of my life in my living
3: room. Mm -hmm. Like
0: it's, it's wild. It's wild.
3: (laughs) I do not have TikTok on my phone and I will never have TikTok on my phone. And that is one of the
2: reasons why.
0: It's a disaster. (laughs) I'm a ruined woman.
2: (laughs) extrapolate that for me to twitter and instagram where i just like doom scroll and suddenly i'm like that was an hour i needed to do something with that hour and now i'm time poor because of it mother fuck well this film will also speak to the like why do we
3: go online so much right and it's Mm -hmm. like that chemical rush of what is it serotonin or dopamine where it's like oh like I, i need this because it's giving me something Especially after the two, what two and a half years of the pandemic we've been in, where it's like you're not seeing people in person as much as you used to, mm-hmm. so you're getting all that I don't know the, the drugs for lack of a better term uh, from social media interactions,
2: <laughs> all the synapses firing. Yeah, there you go. So Casey runs upstairs when she hears someone arriving home. This we will eventually learn is her father. We will never see him. We don't know if she has a mother or if the mother just isn't around very much. But I think it's very telling that we never actually see any parents in Casey's life.
3: Well, so that's what I was gonna say. Like, why do you think that decision was made to never show these people?
0: Because being on the internet is fucking lonely. and You don't want anyone to know what you're doing. And I feel like it amplifies that solitude. Like there is someone there, but the only comfort you find is the internet. And I think showing another person will kind of shatter that illusion of of total isolation. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. she's not completely isolated, but this, her always being in her room, or almost always in her room creates this bubble that you don't want to penetrate, if that makes sense.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is actually fairly common for YA properties. We either have parents who are present and they are like overly present and or even getting their own storylines, or they are completely absent. You know, I'm thinking of when we talked about Let the Right One In a couple weeks ago, which by the way traces the conversation that you had about aim and your pedophiles that you were chatting with <laughs> for the record i don't know if any of them were pedophiles i just assume they were <laughs> just the default pedophile mode got it, yeah. <laughs> got it but like if we think about the parents in that film you know oscar's mother is barely there she's not even visually present in matt Ree's remake and this is pretty common right like it's parents are not involved in these children's lives you can read it as a social condemnation of how we parent our children nowadays or how kids, like you said, Mary about they seek refuge in the internet because they are not connected to people in real life, and most specifically, not their parents.
0: Well, and also, like, usually in movies like this, where the parents aren't around, the kids are, like, doing drugs and partying and, like, right. scare quotes ruining their lives, as adults say. But here, it's, like, I think more of the reality. Like, I have a 19-year-old brother, and, like, his ass is almost always at home.
2: Mm-hmm. Just online
0: just online like playing video games and like he wants to be by himself all the time which like I very much identify with but like I feel like
3: but but, but kids today also get, get have technology at a much younger age I didn't get my first cell phone until I was a sophomore in high school which then was even mm-hmm. early and I had to share it with my sister who was two years younger than me but you have kids <laughs> today who have a cell phone in elementary school and an iPad before that
2: exactly yeah. I mean, I think we've also changed our definition of what community is, right? Like, I mean, one of the benefits of things like social media and even predating that, like internet chat rooms, is the ability to find like-minded people that you couldn't find in person, right? So you're able to reach out across the World Wide Web and Mm -hmm. meet somebody maybe from a far off land and... You know, that's one of the things that this film is exploring is this subset of people who are excited about a horror game coming together, and whether or not there's positive or negative interactions happening there. Mm. Uh, Okay, so she resumes watching videos, and we're we're seeing other people's reactions after they have done the World's Fair challenge. Uh, This ranges across a couple of different spheres. We'll see these people again in different facets. And then all of a sudden, kind of like you said, Mary Beth, it's a time suck. Her dad is pounding on the door because it's three <laughs> o'clock in the fucking morning.
3: And she's 13, right? Is that how old she's supposed to be?
0: I think so. Yeah. She's
3: okay. 13. I'm seeing like, did I ever say it 3 a.m. when I was 13?
0: <laughs> but I was... God. So this movie unlocked a memory for me. And I'm about to get personal because it's, it's incredible. Um, okay. This okay. unlocked a very weird memory for me. So my dad, his second wife, had very wealthy parents. And I grew up pretty poor, so I had never experienced, like, wealth, like, big wealth. It was, like, a very foreign concept to me. (laughs) And so... She was very wealthy, and we went to visit her parents. And they had one of those houses where, like, they had like a fancy sitting room that no one sat in, oh, yeah. and then an actual living room. <laughs> All of the rooms were had like a they're like the blue room, the yellow room, like mm. that kind of shit. <laughs> and so I would always stay in the yellow room, but it freaked me out because there were two beds and they were perfectly made, and like I had never been around that shit before. So right. I would sleep in their computer room that was connected to the yellow room, and I would go on Neopets like chat boards. And, like, meet people. And, like, I made a whole personality for myself. And I would sit on these chat rooms until, like, four in the morning watching anime like a fucking nerd. And
3: mm-hmm. <laughs> we own our nerd. name. We own our nerd. And, like, here.
0: writing Harry Potter fan fiction. I know it's that's, like, out of vogue now. But back then I wrote yeah. Harry Potter fan fiction, met people online that we would, like, send messages to each other. And, like, we were not ourselves. Like, I was totally a fake person. Right. And like met boys online and it was like, that was how I kind of, like, when I went to their hatway when I went, like, I visited them pretty frequently, and it was, like, where I felt comfortable, because, like, I had no idea how to interact with these people. And then, like, this always was kind of the theme when I saw my dad, As I would, like, make these personas, because my dad and I have a very bad relationship, but, like, I never really realized how much I used the internet when I was around them to, like, kind of escape myself. And it was, like, a weird realization in watching this movie and how I used the internet and, like, staying up late to kind of become a person that I
3: wanted to about. be so to yeah. be clear though so you didn't remember the until watching this movie that you had done that
0: yeah I ha- like i knew i so i knew yeah. i like went on neopets message boards and talked about harry potter but i didn't think about the connection between when i did that and like why i did it i just thought i was a weird kid but that's like a little bit deeper than me just being a weird kid
3: joe did you have an escape because I, for me personally that, that's why i got into movies like the the fictional worlds to me were like an escape from the bullying that i experienced as a kid so like I, yeah i, prefer, I had I, I had friends but i also had bullies and so i just really got into fiction tv and movies just because i was like i would rather live in those worlds than go to school
2: yeah my experience wasn't too dissimilar except that it was mostly books just books by virtue of the age that I was at, like, I didn't have a TV in my room, I didn't have high-speed internet, and if we did, it was in the living room, like, it was a family computer. So, I ended up making my room kind of, like, my safe space, where I could just go and retire, and, like, my parents weren't allowed to go in there if I wasn't there, so I had, like, decorated it exactly the way I wanted to, to feel comfortable. But, yeah, I mean, I... I was a lonely child, even though I had a sister who I absolutely worship. She was three years older, and she was like, get the fuck away from me because you're a kid. So i would just hang out in my room and just like read all the time but i'm sure if it had been like five to ten years later i would have absolutely just been on the internet the whole time it's so funny that
3: you mentioned like not having a tv in your room because i remember distinctly when i got my first tv in my room It was one of those big square like block tvs with a v oh, the god, built-in yes, vhs so player mm-hmm. oh my god but oh child me was ecstatic i could watch vhs's in my room at bedtime <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: I had a laptop and a portable DVD player that I would watch movies in at night. Ah,
3: perfect. You had a laptop.
0: <laughs> I had a so okay, but that's another really fucked up story because my dad and my stepmom bought it for me to win my win my affection oh, when sure. I was yeah, like yeah. fourteen. They like it was like a whole fucked up thing, but they got it for me when I was fourteen for my birthday. Because
3: how old are guilty. you, Marybeth? I don't think I know I'm this. Twenty. Answer. I'm twenty eight. Okay. That makes more sense. Okay. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I'm pretty, I'm relatively young. Well, I was like, my first computer was like that big Windows 98, like, again, the big block computer. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, so, like, I
0: grew up with a family computer like that. Like, mm-hmm. I had, like, the family computer for a long time, but my dad did that whole fucked up thing that parent, divorced parents do bought me without telling my yeah. mom, and my mom right. was so pissed, because she never wanted me to have a laptop, because I, I would always sure. have the computer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. she was like, my mom tried so hard to keep TVs out of our rooms and computers out of our rooms, which is oh, a absolutely. good move on her part. Like, she- mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I get it, but then yeah. I got the laptop, and then it was all downhill from there.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's so funny is that we all then grew up to be, like, massive media consumers all the time. Like, it's the thing yep. we do now, 24-7. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the whole thing about taking your hobbies and monetizing them.
2: <laughs> oh, God, yeah. <laughs> okay, so the next day, Casey trudges into the woods, and she's recording herself because she wants to document symptoms after she has taken the challenge so uh again this is kind of like a long shot to like an extreme long shot as she just sits in this hammock and then we actually get to see the video that she's recording of herself that presumably she would upload later so she talks a bit about how she's a horror fan and how she used to sleepwalk when she was younger and how she knew what was happening but she couldn't control herself and that's how she feels Now, And she's almost becoming desensitized. So she acknowledges that even though she's not wearing a jacket or a sweater, uh, it's obviously cold outside. But she says, I don't feel anything. I'm not even cold right now. Mm -hmm. No,
3: and that really is something that Sean Brown was trying to get across here. So, I mean, you know, we've discussed how she is a trans filmmaker, but she actually uh, started transitioning during production of this film. I don't think it was during filming, but during like like the... the, the, Mm genesis of this film and i pulled a bunch of quotes so she released a director's statement with the film but i've also found a couple of interviews and most of these quotes are going to be pulled from either that director's statement or um an interview with orla smith for seventh row titled jane schoenbrunn once we're all going to the world's fair to scare you and make you cry hmm. so schoenbrunn says the film is an attempt to use the language of cinema to articulate the hard to describe feelings of dysphoria Growing up, I did not know this word, nor did I know the words transgender or non-binary. These terms hardly existed at the time. I believe we're still just beginning to develop a language through which we can articulate our transgender experiences, whether verbally or cinematically. What I did know growing up was a constant feeling of unreality, one cut with an ambient sense of shame, self-loathing, and anger. I knew that fiction was a safe place for me to hide. I think fantasies that were offered to me were appealing because the life I was living and the body I was living did not feel real to me. It took me decades to unravel those feelings and, to understand them for what they were, very common symptoms of dysphoria. And mm. this is something, I mean, I, I, I've never experienced this. And I know that, Joe, you've opened up about your experiences with body dysmorphia, but um, this is something that I, I can't personally relate to, so I find it... That's kind of what I like about this film is that I feel like I'm getting a window into feeling something that I have never and probably will never experience. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, and it's reminded me, it reminded me of some, some stuff that like, so I was a really weird kid and I still don't know if it was dysphoria. It's something I'm working on in therapy, actually, because I used to want to be, I used to pretend I was a werewolf, a vampire, and a witch. And I know it sounds like weird kid stuff, but, like, I legitimately thought I was, like, my body was transforming, which she was reminded in her director's statement later on, she talks about this, I won't jump ahead with that. But, like, Mm -hmm. this movie made me think about the weird shit that I did as a kid in trying, and, like, I always thought I was just a weirdo, but then in this context of this movie, realizing I think I was disconnected from myself, and Mm -hmm. I don't consider myself not binary, so it's, it's not the same exact thing as, like, what jane is talking about in her film but it reminded me of like that disconnection with my body and using fantasy to like find a way to connect better with myself and understand Mm -hmm. myself
1: yeah and
0: again this movie made me think about that in a way i hadn't before which was really weird but like Uh in a good way but in a way that i hadn't (laughs) like ever confronted i was like i was just a weird kid and like yeah i was a weird kid but there was other stuff going on that I didn't think about.
3: Well, I guess too, I mean, maybe maybe this isn't dysphoria, but Joe, even like, I mean, being gay, thinking you're straight, trying to be straight, but your body and like, and your mind telling you, but you aren't like, I guess that's the closest I can come to like, like relating to this feeling.
2: I think to me it feels like we're talking about a bit of a spectrum where yeah. we can't relate to Sean Brown's experience or the trans experience because we don't have that sense of disconnectedness and trying to figure out who you authentically are, and yet we can... We can see part of ourselves in that because, especially as you're coming of age and either you're figuring out your sexuality or in Mary Beth's case, you're figuring out you're not a werewolf or a witch. and i'm I'm not even saying that to be funny, Mary Beth, because I know you've talked very authentically about how you were like, no, I was a hundred percent convinced of this, so I was
0: convinced of it because I wanted to be something different than who I was. You know what I mean? Like it was like exactly. a way for me to like, disconnect from my reality and be like there has to be something better than my current state of living and so yeah the number
3: of times i sat in my bed and prayed that god
2: would grant me matilda's powers is a lot (laughs) but all this to say i think even if we can't exactly relate to Schoenbrunn's experience and what she's trying to capture with this film I think we can get an inkling of it enough that it sort of turns the lens back on us and we say okay I'm feeling something and oh shit it's either unlocking something might be a memory it might just be a weird vibe but that's one of the things I like the most about this movie is how it's actually a very emotive movie it makes you think a lot about why are you feeling the way you're feeling? And it's all based in the way that these images are constructed.
3: Well, and Shonen continues. So she says, I was transitioning while making the movie. I'm still fairly early into my transition. At the time of this interview, which is around the Sundance premiere, she was six months on HRT. Okay. She continues, but I was existing and I had existed when I was 13 years old on the internet in a state of dysphoria. I think emotionally our context for what dysphoria is as a culture and certainly mine before I had put a name to the feelings I was having was very limited and certainly limited by a media that had been created primarily by cisgender filmmakers. Mm -hmm. It's sad people looking in the mirror and telling their therapist that they have the soul of a woman, even though they're a man. I don't want to deny that those are real experiences, but for me, dysphoria was just this sort of desire to disappear from myself, to hide in friction, and to just not look inside. I often Mm. describe it as very similar to the phenomenon of having an email in your inbox that you don't really want to read and just avoiding it, except that's your entire life. Oh my god.
0: See, and that's why I connected really hard with the director's statement, because I had never heard dysphoria described like that, because I've never Mm -hmm. been like, I identify with a different gender i never have like i but the way jane describes it is like that is very similar to how i went through much of my childhood like what the fuck i've never thought about it like that and it like blew Mm -hmm. my brain apart
3: it simplifies the experience i mean again because yes any kind of feeling like that is going to be very complex and very dependent on the individual themselves right like no one experience is probably going to be exactly the same but i like that i mean again like i've tried to explain to straight men my entire life when they're like how did you know you were gay and it's like i don't know i mean like
2: how did you know you were straight
3: yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> like why do you like man i don't know i don't get hard over women but like again for some people that's not the same thing because sexuality is also a spectrum <laughs> right or something that we can control exactly exactly Um, again, Sean continues, I'm not sure if I've ever seen dysphoria explored in American film in this way, at least not by an openly trans filmmaker, and I think if I had, it would have helped me a lot. Instead, I saw films like Boys Don't Cry, Dallas Buyers Club, and Silence of the Lambs, and I didn't see myself in those films' depictions of transness at all. As the film critic Willow McClay writes in her series Bloody Talk, Transgender cinema, as it is understood by cisgender filmmakers, is exterior forces and changes. What cisgender filmmakers typically do not understand is that for us, the internal becomes external, not the other way around. Dysphoria manifests itself in real exterior ways, but it originates from an internal place. When I started writing this script, if you'd asked me if I was trans, I would have said no. By the time it was done, I would have said yes. But I would have been really scared to tell you that. Now that it's being released, I'm really proud of the fact that the film is speaking from a trans voice in the middle of that process because the film is trying really hard to represent something. Not the characters, because I'm not so interested in thinking about which characters are or aren't trans, but in a feeling I was trying to get across and work out within myself that I couldn't put a name to while I was starting to make the film. That was the thing that drove me to make art in the first place. To explore this thing, I couldn't quite put a name to, and then I thought I was the only one who'd experienced it. It was through the movie that I found a name for it. Honestly, the most moving thing about premiering the film is the validation and not feeling that what I was trying to express was mine alone. It's something that once I figured out a name for it, and a name is a symbol of something that's unspeakable, other people have been moved by
0: Ugh, I love the director statement so much. <laughs> it
3: really it's just opens so up layers.
0: Eloquent and incredible and like really puts a lot of things in even more into perspective. And it's just really incredible. To he- and also to hear her experience with making this movie. Mm-hmm. It's just incredible.
2: I think too what's fascinating is We're talking about a lot of queer cinema, like week in, week out on this podcast in particular. And I know, Marybeth, you and Terry often end up encountering even just those readings because of what you two are bringing to the table on your podcast. And same with Dax on Wona, but this feels like such a different kind of beast because usually i'm like okay well let's talk about the secondary character who happens to be trans and doesn't Mm -hmm. doesn't get a love interest and doesn't get to do anything particularly interesting but yes queer cinema whereas here it's like oh this movie is queer not because of i mean yes obviously because it's made by a trans filmmaker but more so like It's the experience of watching this movie that makes it trans and therefore queer cinema. Like, that's so fucking fascinating.
0: It's the best! I studied this when I was in my master's program and took queer cinema and, like, had my brain open to the concept of queerness as not just, like, a queer person on screen, but just as a vibe. Mm -hmm. And it, like, opened up my brain as a queer person. And it like changed my life as a queer person in terms of seeing myself in, in movies rather than just like, oh, there's not another bisexual person. But like right. the vibe of, of queerness and the experience of it told, oh, it's incredible. Oh, it's the best feeling.
3: Well, and the way Sean Bren filmed this movie, I mean, again, we've already discussed it quite a bit, but it's just like it, it feels very intimate, but also very cold and distant to me. Like it, it is a warring feeling watching this movie, which... Again, if this is the closest I can get to, like, f- what what it feels like to have dysphoria, I do think Sean like, succeeds in that aspect. hmm Yeah.
0: Well, yeah, I and mean, there's, like, it's also, like, digital intimacy, you know what I mean? We're like, I've never met you guys before. And, mm-hmm. like, we know each other so way through the internet. And I consider you guys friends. And it's such a weird thing with, like, digital intimacy. It's like, I feel like I know you guys, but also we've never met in person. So it's, like, this mm-hmm. weird disconnect between who you are online. Again, this is coming back to that and who you are in person and somehow Schoenbrunn really strikes that really well through the way she shoots and, like the visual language she creates it's like so impressive in that kind of visual language and how she's able to capture that and through the like through this first per almost first person perspective on one per- it's one character
3: and I will have more to say I'm sorry Schoenbrunn will have more to say about that <laughs> but I think I'll wait until we get to some of like the the videos that we'll watch later
2: Yes, and also because, of course, we are going to be coming up on our other main character in the film in just a little bit. Yes. Okay, so let's return to the film. Um, the next section finds Casey recording herself sleeping. Oh. And we we have this... I, I mean, I love the way that this is shot, where the camera is set up so we're filming her laptop, which is recording her in bed. So it's like... I, I tried to find the right language. I couldn't figure out if it was once removed or twice removed. But again, it very much feels like we are invading the intimacy because this is her bedroom of this 13-year-old girl. Mm-hmm. But we're not watching her sleep. or are watching the computer sleep as though we are spectators of her channel. And it really, honestly, it made me feel very creepy. Because oh, sure. <laughs> yes. and they, and they, we are essentially spying on this 13-year-old girl. Mm -hmm. Even though she is willingly turning on the camera because she wants to be seen and be watched. But there's something, yeah, like we are invading the privacy of this. Yeah.
0: Well, it's like a predatory gaze because you know that she's
2: 13
0: and her ability to consent is not... It's not, it's not there mm-hmm. as much as no. its digital intimacy, again, digital intimacy, and, like, we are the creepy voyeur you imagine watching kids online. And, like, mm-hmm. we occupy that subject position, which is so icky. I
3: did get genuinely, like, get genuine chills from this movie, specifically in the, in the um, chat we're gonna get in a bit with the new character, but... I do worry that people are going to miss out on like, again, how quote unquote scary this movie is because mm-hmm. they're going to be looking for those traditional scares. But again, just the fact that we are spying on this 13 year old girl from a like a seemingly predatory point of view, that is scary to me.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Like there, there's no jump scares. There's no people doing scary stuff like it's all just unnerving and uncomfortable and. I don't know about YouTube, but I felt a sense of mounting dread because I literally never knew where this fucking movie was going to go. (laughs)
0: <laughs> i know
2: <laughs> i agree and i think we'll have more to say about that because i think it builds dread very well but i'm very interested to get to the ending and what y'all think of it oh my god i have so much to say yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay so she ends up getting out of bed and then she she seems to almost get frustrated with herself either she can't sleep or she doesn't want to be doing what she's doing so we follow her out to this shed which she unlocks she reveals a hunting rifle which also ominous as fuck because you're just like oh what's she gonna do with a gun and then she ends up kind of wandering into what I'm calling a man cave because we see a pool table we see a big screen TV it almost seems like a place where her dad would normally be hanging out yeah and she ends up watching a YouTube video on the big screen. And it's just this young woman petting the camera and encouraging Casey, and by extension us, to close our eyes and go okay. to bed and have sweet
3: dreams. This is ASMR and I fucking hate it. I, <laughs> I know people like, find it very soothing. I watched this movie twice and I was cringing through this entire scene, (laughs) both times. I hate the sound of it. It's so annoying, and it's so upsetting. I don't know how anyone could find comfort from this. I'm (laughs) I'm happy if you can.
2: (laughs) I like it because it starts calming like I was kind of enjoying it it did seem soothing to me and then it just keeps going and so much of this movie is about long takes so it's like get used to it we're not gonna cut away we're not gonna edit to make you feel more comfortable so even in this case where it's something seemingly nice it starts to become creepy because we're just lingering on it Wait, I'm sorry. That's interesting though, because this video,
3: people do these. Like, this is meant to be a soothing thing. So, Mm -hmm. I'm and Mary Beth, yeah. What are your thoughts? Because I'm curious. I don't know if you like ASMR. Are you gonna react the same way that Joe just did to this?
0: So, okay. I don't like ASMR, but it's fascinating to me because mm-hmm. I know a lot of people who fall, who do fall asleep to ASMR. Yeah, they okay. needed to fall asleep and they had, like, they put on these channels that are like so long and they have their favorite artist. and like, I need to fall asleep to, to stuff like this, but not ASMR particularly, but like, it is a very real experience and it's creepy mm-hmm. if you're not into it, but I also feel like it feels very intimate. Like you are getting kind of a look into her sleeping ritual and what- And how she doesn't find comfort in, like, a parent or a person to fall asleep, but, like, a person who is being fake intimate with her and, Mm -hmm. like, soothing her to sleep. It's almost like a lullaby in a way. Absolutely. And it's sad because this is what she's looking to a stranger again on the internet. Yeah. Like, a persona of a person to, like, give her the comfort that she needs and is looking for to fall asleep and to feel held and taken care of.
3: So, I mean, like you said, she's, she's turning to a video for comfort instead of her father or her mother or a friend. Do you think that that instills habits of seeking artificial comfort instead of quote unquote, real comfort?
0: Oh, 100%. I think so. I think, especially for me who found a lot of like friendships online as a kid and sometimes like can forget how to talk to people. And like, I don't know. It just, it's weird
3: like when the pandemic started like I was I always said I was I was a huge extrovert and I still consider myself an extrovert but two and a half years of you know working from home and not going out to see people like every day like I used to Mm -hmm. going going back to work in the office I was like I feel like I've forgotten how to talk to people and I've also Mm -hmm. like I don't want to talk to people not because I'm like oh the (laughs) virus because I'm like I've I've been living in my head for so long now which was such a foreign experience to me at first, that now I'm like, I don't even want to be around people. And I I hate that about myself.
2: But then I'm like, well, shit, like, what if
3: I was 13 years old going through this?
2: Yeah, one of the things I think we need to be careful about is saying, oh, well, online is fake, and then real life is real. Because Mm -hmm. I think for a whole generation of people, that isn't their real experience. Like, I'm thinking for 13 year old kids who, as you said, Trace, have grown up with smartphones and iPads and so on, I think this is actually just the reality. So the online, like, seeking help from people to sleep or make social connections, like, I actually think that that's just a lived experience for an entire generation of people. It's not fake anymore.
0: Well, and, like, look at TikTok and the authenticity people are, or, like, it looks like authenticity on the app and how people are more likely to share, like, share more intimate mm-hmm. use of themselves on apps
3: like that and like well and we've all done it on twitter i mean again you can yeah, go, to, <laughs> go on twitter and look at anyone going in like uh, 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 yeah and you're right, i'm not trying to demonize the internet i mean again all of us are on and i use it every single day and actually yeah most of my closest friendships are with people i haven't even met in person
2: mm-hmm. oh, which is not bizarre. to say that they're not damaging or that they're not dangerous it's just oh, like that's where some of the f- the fun of having this conversation comes into play right it's like we can't demonize the thing that we use literally all day every day and yet we can also implicitly recognize this shit is fucking us up
3: well because i mean okay just to simplify it you know like joe you and i really only talk on the podcast right but we Mm -hmm. message each other like on twitter messages or texting all the time every day Not not all the time but Mm -hmm. but it's like wouldn't you rather have someone text you than phone call you oh my god don't even
2: like i will decline the call (laughs) but that's the thing right it's like okay but yeah it's more immediate and it's more real
3: well i don't want to say it's a problem but it's like you're immediately cutting down on quote-unquote yeah real social interaction which again Mm -hmm. is a a phone call is less real than in person but like you know what i mean
2: yeah it's that spectrum baby Mm i i mean i think the thing that i like about online interactions is that i have the capacity to walk away so yeah it's not that i live in my head too much which i do but also <laughs> that if i don't want to answer your text or if i don't want to message you i don't have to whereas if we're in person like the number of times that i've had interactions with people over brunch or we go over dinner or something like that and it's like okay everybody fucking turn your phone over because we are trying to have a human interaction and it's hard and painful and taxing and i think that's some of the mental fatigue you're talking about trace yeah yeah Uh, Okay, so I should note that at this point in the plot synopsis, we are 30 minutes in. So this is traditionally considered the end of the first act. So we fade to black. And then when Casey wakes up, the video has transitioned to a message for Casey from JLB. So literally 30 minutes in, almost to the minute, we then transition into the next act and we introduce the second main character. Mm hmm. So uh, there's an ominous laughing soundtrack as a picture of her face decays. This is literally the introduction that JLB sends to her to catch her attention. And it's intercut with the words, you're in trouble, and I need to talk to you.
3: Yeah. So
2: I want to do this before
3: the uh, the call, because I feel like that, that call is terrifying. Mm-hmm. So th- this is kind of pulled from uh youth, basically. So... She continues to say, When I was 13 years old, I was obsessed with the Wes Craven movie, Scream. It got in my little brain. I posted on the Scream message board. A big part of the message board was people making up their own stories based on that movie. Fan fiction. Yeah, fan fiction. People posting their own movie ideas, writing amateur screenplays, short stories. um, Basically a proto version of what you see and we're all going to the World's Fair. She would also post about serial killers and vampires. (laughs) Oh. <laughs> Honestly fucking relatable content. Yeah, <laughs> yes.
0: Jesus Christ.
3: <laughs> I was a morbid, creative kid still decades away from accepting my trans identity. And for me, the anonymity of this forum was a refuge. Even though the tones of my stories were pretty dark, writing and posting them was a bomb. Hmm. Enter W-A-J. So... A 30-something man who posted under the acronym WAJ started commenting on my stories. He kind of browbeated me into a relationship over AOL instant messages. Oh, God. He was really emotionally needy, and I was this 13-year-old kid who knew I shouldn't be talking to this guy. But he would IM me whenever I signed on. He'd tell me about how depressed he was and tell me about his drug addict boyfriend. It was this relationship that I was really trying to extricate myself from. Here's where it gets a little creepy. Oh, good. Uh,
2: We're not there yet.
3: (laughs) More creepy. So one night he told me he had just found out this secret. And the secret was that vampires were real. He had recently drunk his boyfriend's blood and he was becoming a vampire himself. Oh, God. He told me that he could feel the changes starting, that he was afraid of what he was becoming, but that it also felt good. He was implying that he wanted to share this secret world with me. I knew then that it wasn't real, but I was sort of intrigued and fascinated by it. I didn't know if he believed it, if it was something that he was telling me to lure me deeper into a relationship, or if it was just his version of harmless fantasy play. Again, with a 13-year-old child. Mm -hmm. It was an incident that stuck with me as a young person who was also trying to figure out their own relationship with their body, intimacy, fiction, and reality, using the internet as a way to do that. I remember sitting in math class the next day, playing this over in my head. I knew that W.A.J.'s story wasn't true, but part of me sort of wished that it was. I thought, wouldn't the world be a more exciting place if this sort of transformation were possible? That was the initial emotional inspiration for the film. This film is not an adaptation of that story, but it uses that as a jumping off point. So, I'd say that the origin story of sorts that I shared provided more of an emotional context for a lot of the themes I wanted to explore, rather than a narrative basis for the film. I think the film was really sensitive to and concerned with power dynamics and storytelling and power dynamics in a space where anyone can control the narrative of a story that's what i was pulling from yeah yeah
0: did she disclose how old she was to the guy
3: uh, she doesn't say if she disclosed that to him. No. Okay.
0: Not that it matters. I was just curious, <laughs> no. Like, it was just cu- I was just curious if he knew or if it was one of those things where like no one shared their age, so it was like weird and nebulous.
3: Well, because the difference is going to be right because uh, Show and is not going to be able to. Well, maybe not posting videos at this time because I feel like this is like late nineties.
2: Well, but even yeah. I would argue. I mean, I have met some very smart preteens, teenagers, uh, you know, kids, right. Mm. I would argue that as an adult, I am still able to distinguish the writing and the speaking tone of an adult over a child.
0: Oh, 100%. I agree with that. I was just curious if it was one of those things where like, you know, sometimes you don't tell the full truth on the internet. And that again, does not mean that he should have done that but mm-hmm. I, you can still tell, you can definitely tell when someone is actually
3: well, in I'm, <laughs> I'm just differentiating it from this film though because with with with, with JLB and, and Casey, like he, he can see that she is a 13-year-old oh, girl. Oh, yes. that, yeah, exactly. We, whereas we don't know what the case was with, Jill, with, with Jane Schoenbrum.
0: Did you guys ever have personas online? Like you pretended to be different people or like an, a different age or something? Did you ever do
3: no, that? No, because I, I I find that takes so much brain energy to like build.
2: Yeah. A- <laughs> <So, laughs> Trace is like, like, I don't build a character. Sorry.
3: No, I, I'm not the creative type. So, like, I mean, like, uh, you, have those video, you, have, <laughs> sorry. you have those video games that like like Persona 5 or, or really any RPG where it's, oh, you're building a character and the game is essentially a life simulator. And some people really enjoy that because you're escaping into a fantasy world. Whereas for me, I'm like... Who has the time to, <laughs> to, to wow. build a new life? I'm, like, I'm too busy with the one that I have. And that is not me coming down on people that like these games. I I wish I was more invested in them. But honestly, like, I got three hours a Persona 5, and I was like, ooh, this is too much of a commitment. <laughs> he says as he spends 200 hours in a Pokemon game. Right.
0: That's, like, the same... Never mind.
3: I def-
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's a different, that's a different podcast. <laughs> Dude, I'm
3: not building a life in a Pokemon game. I'm just right. going from A to B and catching monsters. Fair, fair,
0: fair, fair,
2: fair. So Mary Beth, I'm gauging that you did.
0: I did. De- so, okay. I definitely catfish, but like not long, co- not to the point that like I was in relationships. Like it was always this thing where like, I would go into chat rooms And I would pretend to be older than I was and look Mm -hmm. different to like flirt with boys and flirt with guys. So like I but like the the conversations wouldn't last very long because I would get I would chicken out a little bit cuz it, it was it was scary to pretend to be somebody I wasn't but it was really exciting too because right. I could be whoever I wanted like I could say like oh yeah I'm 16 and blonde like cuz that's mm. what guys liked when I was like 13 and I had a friend who did this that but more than me and she would actually catfish guys and like get into relationships with them and like talk to them on like video
2: Oh, gosh. With
0: video off and stuff. So, like, she introduced me to that entire world. And it was fascinating to, like, make myself out to be someone different. And we would do it together, too. Like, it was so... It was weird. But, like, that was something I really kind of experimented with in Mm -hmm. terms of being someone different and like seeing how you can manipulate people like that's pretty fucked up like a teenager Mm -hmm. should not be able to do that but (laughs) I did and I had like secret screen names for when I would talk to people who weren't I didn't know in real life like I had like my my forward facing screen name on AIM and I had Mm -hmm. my secret ones for talking to all of my like secret friends I think
3: for me it's just too many things like even like something like The Sims where like people enjoy doing The Sims you're building a life I'm just like, it's too much to keep track of for me. And so I I, I find it not fun where someone else would be like, oh my god, I'm I exercising these creative parts of my brain, even if it's a, or, or something like, like what you're doing, uh, Mary Beth,
2: with creating an online persona. Yeah. yeah, it's somewhere between a prank and a power play, right? Yeah, I could see that.
0: Yeah. And like, I also then had like a writer persona online when I was writing fan fiction.
2: Right.
1: Like
0: I wrote under the name... Of the character from the village, like I was so weird. I was <laughs> so weird, but like I loved it because like it was my persona, and like people liked my weird writing about Harry Potter, and like it was so cool to have like a secret life where people didn't actually know who I was.
3: Well, but but I, I guess that's where I'm coming in too. Because so for that, why did you use a pen name for that?
0: Because I wanted. I liked having that kind of anonymity and being someone different, and like being able to be creative in a way that I didn't feel was acceptable in my everyday life mm-hmm. and being able to share a side of myself that I didn't, didn't want to share with people I knew. And that I was kind of embarrassed to share with people I knew. Cause mm-hmm. it was like super exposing how nerdy I was. And like, but I also again like to disconnect from my reality and be a different person. Cause like I had a weird childhood, so it was really cool at the same time to disconnect from that and be someone else for a little bit. Like right. I love doing that.
3: See, and I, I'm the opposite where I'm like well if I'm writing something if I'm creating like again, yeah, writing a story I want people to know it's me I don't want people to like attribute it to this fake name <laughs>
0: yeah well I, I do not want people knowing I'm writing about Harry Potter fan fiction and, like, <laughs> that I don't need I don't need people to know
1: oh, I feel like man. you're talking
2: about being driven by different needs right like Trace you're very uh, narcissistic mm-hmm. I was going to say you're driven by the need to get recognized for the things that you feel proud of. And I think with Mary Beth, she's talking more about, like, it's something that you enjoyed, but that you also needed to compartmentalize. You didn't want different parts of your life to intersect, so you had to keep them separate. Yeah, I get that. I mean, I didn't do it, but I get it. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so all this to say, Casey is having a video chat with this creepy dude, and she's on camera, and he is not...
3: Ugh, uh, red flag number one! The old my camera's broken trick. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> Fucking oh boy.
0: shit. Sorry, I just me. Oh, you know it's a creep when that happens.
3: Well, but in this movie. Hey, he's not, right?
2: He is? Well, here's the thing. One of the things I've...
0: Interesting mm to ask that question. I think the
2: default position is that, yes, he is a creepy dude who is going after a young girl because he can see her. He knows what she looks like. She cannot see him. He is not being entirely candid with her. But at the same time, all of their conversations are a game oriented right like mm-hmm. he repeatedly talks about like he doesn't want to know about her personal life he just wants her to keep making videos so that he knows that she's okay because the game is for serious people but also her videos are becoming increasingly intense so he wants to make sure that she's doing okay and i i love this really thin line that we are walking where it could be super fucking creepy and predatory or it could be this dude is just so invested in this game and he has found somebody that he thinks he can connect with
3: well and for all we know he's just watching her videos later and jerking off to them
2: well, there, there is maybe that well,
3: possibility too yes But I ended this movie not thinking he was a creep, but maybe we can talk about that more as we...
0: Yeah, I Uh, definitely think he's a creep. No, I Mm. think so too.
3: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) See, maybe it's my naivete.
0: There is an inherent power dynamic, no matter how much he wants to be like, it's just the game. There is an inherent power dynamic between an older man Mm -hmm. and a 13 year old girl on the internet. Mm -hmm. And like... It's just there's already a Bauer dynamic, even if no one thinks there is. And it's just very slippery and very gross.
3: Okay, I, I, and I'm not trying to like prove either one of you wrong here, but I'm trying to think: like, is it the inclusion of the internet here that makes it more creepy, or is it just the fact, quote unquote, just the fact that it's um an older man with a younger girl? Because I'm trying to think of another movie in which an older man befriends a younger girl, and it's like a you know a happy like one of those fun feel good movies. Uh, those don't exist because you're thinking yeah, of stuff gonna say. like Hard Candy. Well, okay. We are the professional. (laughs) You're telling me there has never been like a Disney movie where an older man has befriended a young child and they go off and have adventures together. Yeah. Okay. There
0: is no way that I just, it's hard. It's hard not to have a power dynamic there
3: though. I'm sorry. What do you think of Dick Van Dyke and Mary Poppins? Creepy? Creepy. (laughs) weird. I mean, I, I'm not trying to prove but you But I wrong. also
0: see him equal ages to her. Oh, you're talking about the kid? The kids? That's fucking creepy. Your fucking I, chimney sweets coming to hang out with your children and sing them songs? Get the <laughs> fuck away from
3: me. weirdo with your gi-
0: giant white teeth? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ.
3: Like, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my god. Let me, let me just try this really quick. Movies where old man befriends <laughs> oh, young Jesus. girl. My watch God. list. Watch list material Watch here.
0: list. FBI, FBI.
3: Well, uh, you are in luck because a lot of these lists uh, are definitely... We've got Poison Ivy. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, my God. The Crush. Uh, Lolita. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, The Crush. Int- entrapment. Oh, my... Because <laughs> of Sean Connery and Catherine Zeta-Jones. Oh,
2: my God. That is not so a like, young there woman. Is,
3: there
0: is... In the Florida Project kind right. of but it's more of a fatherly figure I
1: feel yeah, like
2: I think that's the distinction yeah. like Trace your example of Disney is very much like oh we have father figures because usually we kill off a dad or mm-hmm. we kill off like um, a mentor so it it makes sense there because it's really about like getting the child through adolescence and into like a coming of age maturity Because this film, even though some people will quibble and say, oh, it's not really horror, but just by sheer virtue of it having this ominous kind of creepy tone, people will immediately read this as, yeah, power dynamic, ooh, it's uncomfortable, this dude, shady.
3: And bear in mind, I was like, this guy is a creep for the entire movie until the ending.
0: Well, and like, I have sympathy for him, though, you know, I I do have sympathy for this character, because Mm -hmm. like, he's a creep who I don't think always knows he's a creep. Right. And I know it. that sounds like a hard thing to, like, parse, but it's, like, I think he does have what he believes to be innocent intentions at first
3: well th- that and we don't have to go into this but th- that is entirely another conversation too about pedophiles and sex offenders and the mental illnesses that they have mm-hmm. and yeah. i find them very fascinating conversations i don't think we need to go into it here but I-, I i think those are very interesting and conversations that should be happening as opposed to just writing off like pedophile like go
2: die which Sorry, I'm going to stop
3: there. Just continue.
2: I I would <laughs> say we had a really good stab at that conversation back on the X-Files episode. So, mm. um before Trace gets uber wasted, we we had a fairly <laughs> yeah. healthy conversation about it. There you go. There, go listen to that.
0: But like there is also this thing of wanting to fi- again, like finding connection and feeling like mm-hmm. there isn't as much taboo on the internet about those connections. Like Yeah feels like again like the boundaries thin and taboo doesn't exist as much
2: Mm -hmm. i think we would also feel differently if she was an avatar and he was an avatar because i'm thinking like oh we probably all had conversations with preteens on the internet and maybe not even realized it because they don't have a picture and they just like message us and we respond and suddenly we have conversations and then we don't know that those people aren't of age but because he can see her and he knows that i think that's what tips it over the line exactly yeah
0: because like that having his image up always also makes it feel like he knows that there's something a little bit weird about this and Mm -hmm. like there's something slippery
3: I thought where the movie was going to be going from here on forward was a hard candy type situation. Although I'll be like with the power dynamic reversed because in hard candy Elliot Page is never out of power. This is true. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And Casey is not without power. Like, she always has a certain amount of agency, and I'm interested to talk about the sort of dramatic confrontation that they had that precedes the final bit of the film, because I think we get some interesting revelations about how Casey has approached all of these interactions as well. Right.
0: Yeah. Well, and also just, like, this also goes to show you that people, I think, underestimate kids.
2: Oh, for sure.
0: Yeah. And, like, we're talking about, like, kids on the internet but like kids are smart mm-hmm. they know what they're doing like again like we'll talk about them they a lot of the time they do kind of have a co- they have more of a concept of what they're doing than a lot of people give them credit for well it's because like, they're exposed they're not manipulated. To a... yeah like they can't be as easily manipulated as i think a lot of people thought at the beginning of the internet like oh kids mm-hmm. are unsafe but like i knew what i was doing on the internet like, i was the shit lord <laughs> like, <laughs> like i was a shit sir. like i was the one like manipulating people and like kids know how to do that shit early so like it's like, oh, yeah, there's a lot of creepy people on the internet, but there's also a lot of kids fucking around and mm-hmm. like playing with people's heads.
2: Oh, sure. It's a different kind of playground, right?
0: Well, yeah. And like, younger kids than me have the upper hand. It's just fucking insane.
2: hmm. <laughs> so all this to say, they they end up having a conversation about her symptoms. He wants to make sure that she's not faking it he makes her promise that she isn't. Uh, And then yeah, she talks about how she's not good at talking to other people. um, But then she kind of sidesteps that so that she can talk about her symptoms instead. But we end by saying, okay, she's going to keep making videos about her symptoms and that she feels different. So it's like, okay, cool. And then the film switches. So We've really been following Casey. We haven't seen what JLB looks like. And then when they hang up this call, suddenly we are in JLB's house and we get to see what he looks like. And he is played by Michael J. Rogers, who is a bit of a character actor. Like when you see him, he's got a face that you recognize, even if you can't quite place the films he's been in. And... He's very much just a middle-aged white dude. He lives in a middle-class house, and he spends his times the exact same way as Casey, laying around watching World's Fair videos.
3: I actually find that fascinating, though, right? I I didn't even think about that. But, like, yeah, we're looking at two different generations living on the Internet.
2: Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, he was very much like a Bobo Jackie Earl Haley to me. Okay. Yes, yes. exactly. Mm-hmm. Oh, that
0: is exactly how I feel too. Very Jackie Earl Haley.
3: Which is funny because the two things I know Jackie Earl Haley from, well, besides Nightmare on Elm Street, are Watchmen and Little Children, in which she oh, plays the yes. pedophile. Oh, yeah, Little Children, <laughs> so where he good. plays a pedophile. <laughs> 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 I mean, it's a type, right? Yeah. Ugh,
0: rip. That's terrible. I hope I never.
3: Oh, I guess he's a pedophile in Nightmare on Elm Street,
2: too. <gasps> yes, yeah. <laughs> Especially in that version.
3: Yeah. It, it, yes,
2: he is a pedophile in that movie. Previous episode. Go back and listen to it. Go listen we to it. We had issues.
0: <laughs> With that movie, how dare you? Just kidding.
2: So I'm interested to get your read on this because one of the videos that we see him watching is a teen boy that Casey had been watching. It's the kid in the bathroom. And we actually get to watch this video for longer. And the boy has like a kind of body horror reaction. Like he's got mold on his arm and then he digs around into it. And then he pulls out tickets to an actual fairgrounds out of this gaping wound. I... (sighs) I didn't know what to make of this. This was the,
3: I thought, cool, this is where, this is where the movie is going, but then we don't really go back to this body horror aspect.
2: Mm -hmm. Mary Beth, any thoughts?
0: So I see it as people taking on the trend and making a joke out of it. You know, Mm -hmm. that's how I interpret it. And like, but they portray it in such a way that it doesn't necessarily feel like a joke. You can't tell. You know, like, fake paranormal activity videos, like, oh, just, like, less of an extreme, but, like, to convince people that these are real for views and to tap it on, like, a thing that's really popular, mm-hmm. but they're just doing it to shock and to get people talking. And that's kind of how I saw it. And I, then I saw it as, like, one of those things where people like JLB, who believes in this stuff, would be like, it's real. It's happening.
3: Right. Well, but I, I guess that's the point. And I, actually, I'll, I'll bring in my final piece from Sean Brown's, uh, uh interviews here because... <laughs> I, I yeah, I guess that, that does make sense, Maria. So Schoenberg goes on to say, We're all going to the World Sphere is a film about fantasy and intimacy and identity play in the digital realm. It takes inspiration as much from traditional narrative form as it does from the scroll of a newsfeed, and it tries to speak authentically in the language of the internet. It works from the thesis of Poe's Law and a dodge that posits that it is impossible to know if someone is telling the truth or trolling you online. So that is this yep. scene in a nutshell. <laughs> I think there's this really destabilizing thing that we've gotten incredibly used to as consumers of culture. When we sit down to watch a feature film or linear TV shows, maybe we're staring at the screen, but maybe we're also glancing down at a phone, Wikipedia-ing facts, Googling something separate, or just idly checking Twitter. This barrage of media that's assaulting us at all times from all sorts of sources is so different from traditional narrative filmmaking. One of my goals in making the film was to sort of merge the two, to make something that existed on the canvas of a feature-length film, but was only trying to bring in influences from this everyday experience that we have of scrolling through this cacophony of media. Mm. I was also just being really honest and true to what is ambiguous about using the internet, which is that sometimes people just disappear without a trace, or sometimes you see a video and you have no idea what the intentions of the person who made it are. That was one of the guiding principles of the film, we as viewers would be in a similar place emotionally
2: too if you had just stumbled upon these characters in videos online. Right. Trace, you may not remember this. I feel like I brought it up once before, but Mary Beth, do you remember Lonely Girl? No. Oh, damn it! You two are useless to me. <laughs> <laughs> is it a movie? <laughs> what is it? <laughs> it it was a series of like web video, like kind of confessionals, like what Casey has. But it's the actress who would eventually go on to play Juliet in Grimm, that NBC show about like fairy tale creatures. Uh huh. But basically, the whole thing was like it was presented like video diaries, and she would post one every day and. It just started to seem like something weird was going on in her life, and over time, it was revealed that her boyfriend was actually an occultist, and the series ends with her seemingly abducted and maybe murdered. Wait, oh, okay. So this is the thing where it's like, we don't know if it's really, like, this is actually happening to her, And but then, like... A hundred percent, yeah. People were like, oh, she's just a really interesting internet figure, like, her channel's getting a lot of popularity, weird stuff is happening. She keeps mentioning, like, people started to piece together clues in a kind of, like, red yarn mystery way and then yeah it it eventually came out that of course it was all fabricated it had been scripted she was a professional actress but we didn't know about that until well into its run
0: oh i love that shit so much it's it's like such the evolution of found footage into this like weird new way of telling stories over like a year Mm -hmm. and you find out it's fake and it's fucking cool it's happening on tiktok a lot too
2: right like it's it's the new way of catfishing people it's so, like such
0: cool storytelling.
2: I, I I've never heard of this.
3: It is three seasons and five hundred and forty-seven episodes. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing: launched sixteen months after the YouTube video platform went online. So that is why I did not know what this is. <laughs>
2: oh yeah, it, it's not new. Yeah. but it, it was very much one of those things where I, I think at the beginning of the recording, Mary Beth, you said it's like there's certain things that are going to resonate more closely to people from different generations or different ages because of like how you've engaged or grown up with things like online media and that digital literacy like some of us have had to have a really hard crash course. And most of us, unfortunately, do a really shit job of it, because that's why we keep falling for dumb stuff like fake news. But really, at the end of the day, like, there's so much content, but also so much of that is either not real, or it's coming from a disingenuous place where people are actively looking to fuck with us. Yeah.
3: Well, that's this movie. We don't know a lot of this stuff in this movie.
2: Mm hmm. Yeah. So all this to say, we we fairly clearly do understand that JLB is buying into this like a wholesale. He's on board with all of these World Fair videos, and they eat up a lot of his time. I do want to note that he is always seen by himself in his house, except for one scene where he is watching something on the living room couch, we can see that there's a person down at the end of the hallway and it looks like they're either moving a bag or they're like just bringing in groceries but you can't tell if it's a man if it's a woman if they're coming if they're going what the relationship is it's never unpacked but clearly this man is doing well because he has this big house but we never see him working Mm -hmm. so i love that really at the end of the day we don't know anything about casey we don't know anything about jlb yeah it's, uh, again, it's just all very unsettling. <laughs> okay, so we get a fun kind of, like, montage of things. Kind of like what uh, you read from and Brom's statement, Trace, where it's like, this is what the experience of being online is like. So we have an 8-bit game from 1994 that requires you to retype, I want to go to the World's Fair in order to advance down, like, a really shitty-looking road towards the World's Fair. <laughs> Uh, we have episode eight of a generic looking horror show called Dark Signal. The episode is called Curse of Karum, and uh, it ends with a kid getting sucked into his laptop ring style. <laughs> we also have a silent show called Demon Wings, which features a woman with wings who is played by filmmaker Mae Leitz, a.k.a. Nick Spheres on YouTube, and she's just sitting there on a couch.
3: Okay, I, yeah, I was really
2: not confused by this, but I was very much like a, huh, what are we watching here? <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and it, it just kind of feels like different types of curated content that has maybe either informed the gameplay or just simulates. Here's the barrage of media available to you online. Yeah so we see uh jlb sketching and watching casey's feed uh he's deconstructing a video of her sleeping so he's already watched six hours of it but he zeroes in on a moment where she seems to be still asleep but she leans over in her bed and she we see a freeze frame of her grimacing like she's in pain of some kind and he ends up likening this in a later conversation with her to possession in a paranormal activity movie, which I thought was just like, oh, cool, we're acknowledging that these are real-world events because the paranormal activity movies exist in this world. Well, but it's also
3: showing that he watched her earlier video because she mentioned paranormal activity in her video in the forest. Yeah. Mm. Yep. Mm-hmm. So he's clearly watching everything of hers. But And again, is it because he's a creepy perv, or is he like genuinely into the game and concerned for her safety, or... Both. Yeah.
2: And the answer is yes.
3: Yes.
0: (laughs) But like, and it's also like one of those people that sit there and go frame by frame through like ghost videos. Like, oh, Mm -hmm. it's not an orb. It's a face. Like, it's like that kind of obsessive thing where you, the internet lets you obsess over things and like gives you a place to talk about these obsessions.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like it, it feeds into the idea that there's merit to spending all of that time looking for clues and figuring things out. Right. Yeah. Yep. So he encourages her to keep making videos so that he knows that she's okay. So then we see this series of videos, uh, presumably from her feed. And I'm not going to go through all of them. I'm just going to focus on the one that's kind of important, which is Dumbass Waterfalls. And it contains an ominous voiceover where Casey says, Someday soon, I'm just going to disappear and you'll have no idea what happened to me
3: yeah yeah all of this is very weird because again, we also don't really know how much casey is being real here or how much she's putting on for show mm-hmm. for views i mean again the first one where she's like at the cemetery and she's like oh here we are at uh at my high school and it's like here's the cafeteria and it's like a gravestone mm-hmm. ugh, ugh.
2: yeah like she's clearly being funny this is a bit more personality than we've seen in some of her videos the other one of note is losing control of myself which is also the top rated of these videos with 52 views and (laughs) this is where she does the love in the winter song with marshmallows and then randomly at one point she just starts screaming Mm -hmm. and then she kind of freezes and then she starts doing the dance again as though she is either been possessed or she's like wouldn't this be a cool thing if i insert this so that it gains more attention
3: yeah, and to me, this is just her exercising her demons. Like, you know, metaphorical
2: demons. <laughs> like getting it out.
0: Wait, did you guys ever have YouTube channels? No.
2: no. <laughs> I mean, we have one now, but it's for the podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah, right, we have one.
0: <laughs> I also had a YouTube channel where I did vlogs. And no, it's hidden. You can never fucking see it. But I did that with my friends.
3: What's your pen name? What what pen name is it under?
0: <laughs> this one was actually under my real name.
3: Oh, know. my God, you sneaky slut. i know i was
0: uh what a junior in high school when i started doing it so i was a little bit more i was a little bit more um open to the idea of being a youtuber Mm. they're terrible bullshit terrible terrible videos but like (laughs) you would do shit like that like do the dancing shit and then scream and be like it's normal like Mm -hmm. i'm fucking teenagers are weird or it's scary i don't know it's one of those things where you're like am I possessed or am I just screaming
3: because I want to scream? You know, I was, and not to be like, well, I didn't scream. I was like, I don't think I've ever screamed, but I totally have. But it was more so because, um, this is really embarrassing. (laughs) I was a late bloomer with puberty. And so my voice didn't deepen until I was probably like in high school, but I would frequently scream when I was home alone. So I could see if my voice sounded like a woman's scream or a man's scream. So I could try to change it if I ever needed to scream at school. Huh. Wow. I know. That is some gay hate, Trace. Holy Yeah, cow. I was trying to change something about myself, which luckily it worked out. I got a deeper voice. Not that there's anything wrong with the feminine voice. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right. Uh... Yeah, I mean, I love the ambiguity of this kind of activity because in some ways, yeah, it absolutely feels like a 13-year-old just blowing off steam, like having a private dance party. I fucking do that shit every time my husband leaves. I'm like, oh, I can just be free to be me, play music, dance around, look like a fucking idiot. I don't tend to scream during that time. But um, yeah, I mean, this could be construed as normal. But if you think about JLB watching Casey's video, he would Mm -hmm. 100% be like, oh my God something's inside of her something is wrong with her like what is going on with her so just the different ways that you could read it are yeah fascinating it's the, the film is full of uncertainty mm-hmm. yeah absolutely so then we see several shots of jlb's day he's watching more videos uh i do love the one of him watching videos while he's on the toilet because again relatable content right He does record a message to her expressing concern and saying that he wants to talk to her soon. And this apparently is kind of like where she starts to get frustrated with him because one video that we see is her doing a tarot card reading. And she's basically calling him out for being controlling and fearful and a bunch of other not very flattering things. She never actually names him, but it's very very clear that she is speaking directly to JLB.
3: Yeah, she tells him that they have anxiety, he has anxiety, he's lonely and fearful, so he must not be super strong or powerful. Oof. Yeah.
0: And like I love that though because it shows that like if there is a manipulation factor here, like she is not falling for it. Like you think mm-hmm. I'm an easily manipulated 13 year old girl on the internet but actually like fuck you i know what you're doing and it's like this we talked about this previously but this moment of reclaiming agency of like i'm not someone you can just pull like the wool over my eyes like i see you for what you are Mm -hmm. and i want to be your friend but you are you're crossing a boundary that i and it's incredible to see that with like a 13 year old
2: yeah Yeah, it does start to take on a bit of a dangerous angle when the next video that we see is shot on New Year's Eve and it looks fairly innocuous like the imagery it's her holding the camera so we're not actually seeing casey but she's walking the streets we see these christmas lights and she ends up on a kind of crowded downtown ish street where people Mm -hmm. are ready to count down the ball drop but her voiceover is actually talking about how she's thinking of shooting jlb in the stomach three times or killing herself yeah you're like, oh, okay, there's a there's a good contrast going on between what we're seeing and what we're hearing right now. Yeah, well, and this is, so, because we're, we're about to get to the scene where she destroys Poe, right? Yes, correct. Ugh. This,
3: this scene, okay, did y'all have something like Poe?
0: Uh, yeah, she's sitting, she's sitting right next to me.
2: <laughs> yeah. What is it, Mary Beth?
0: The creepy baby doll I posted on Twitter the
1: other oh, day. Oh, Jesus Christ. Oh,
3: okay, well, I had a blankie, like every normal person, and- <laughs> A, I I slept with this blankie in my bed until uh, I left for college. Okay, uh, I I remember being nine, turning nine, and my dad remember like, stopped me in the kitchen and was like, "You know, it might be time to like stop sleeping with your mm-hmm. blankie because you're nine, you're a, you're a big boy now." Which I hate blah. that phrase, big boy. But um, I I didn't, I refused to do it. It was it was such a comfort thing for mm-hmm. me. And actually, I don't know where it is. I think it's like in a box somewhere from when I went to college. But like, I again, and I didn't like cradle the thing. I just had it in my bed with me went, like, all the way through high school. And I don't know, it was just always a thing that always, always comforted me when I was asleep. And so watching her destroy Poe like this, this is the one time where I was like, oh, I don't don't think this is her doing this. Because Mm. I, me personally, I would never have destroyed my blankie ever, 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 ever. So, uh, but then again, is she just rebelling because she's, you know, going through a phase? I don't know
2: right yeah i mean this is where we get some of the poster art from so she paints her face and we see it glowing green in the black lights um and then yeah she just absolutely goes to town on the stuffed lemur and then she exits the frame but when she comes back in it's like she was in a fugue state because she almost doesn't recognize what she's done yeah. like she looks at mm-hmm. ho as though she's seeing the destruction for the first time, and she's really upset. So mm-hmm. you're kind of like, wait, was she possessed? What, what happened here? And then, importantly, this is when we start to push in on this flickering blue monitor, and Casey intones that she knows how it's going to end. She's going inside the video, through the computer, and inside the screen. So the reason I say that this is important is because I have seen some critics compare these scenes to Cronenberg's Videodrome, which features Mm -hmm. people disappearing into pirate signals in their TVs, as well as something like Mulholland Drive, which has a very Ah. important, like, blue moment, as we talked about in our previous episode.
3: Yeah, no, I can definitely see that. At this point, I mean, even watching the film a second time, it's not that I'm lost with what the film is doing, but I'm just very much like, I guess I'm just going on for whatever ride this film is taking me on because I don't know what's going on.
0: (laughs) Well, and like, especially with the destruction of Poe, I at first was like, okay, there's something supernatural going on here. But then I think (laughs) about when you get in those kind of dissociative fugue states, and you're so angry. And again, like, I experienced that as a kid. Where I didn't destroy things, but, like, I would lose myself for a bit. And it's almost, like, it's that weird slippery slope between, like, mental illness Mm -hmm. and is this really happening? And I don't think there's necessarily an easy answer in there, but because this movie, I think just depicts the experience of dysphoria in such a way where you feel disconnected from your own emotions and you do these destructive things because you're not sure what to do with all of these feelings. And then you wake up and you're like, Oh my God, what the fuck?
2: Right. Yeah. Like you're so in the feels in the moment. And then afterwards you realize, Oh, I, I almost can't even relate to who that person was. And I now have some deep regrets.
0: Mm. Well, and also, like, when I, you know, when I was a kid thinking I was, like, a mo- like an actual monster, like, you would convince yourself of things. So if she's wanting enough to convince herself that she's possessed, I mean, she could have been in that state, too. You know what I mean? Like, she could have like, mm-hmm. convinced herself, oh, I am going through something. But it's more, like, in her head.
2: Right. Yeah, it's hard to say because there was another video hidden in amongst there where she sets it up and then she goes out of frame again. And then when she comes back in, she's kind of crawling around on her hands and feet and Mm -hmm. she's making kind of like snarly noises and talking weird. And you're just like, hmm, there is a performative nature to this. But it also does feel like, yeah, she's channeling something or she's getting something out or maybe she isn't fully in control of what she's doing. We'll never know. Yeah, it's the ambiguity of it all. Mm -hmm. Okay, so she has a Skype conversation with JLB. He's very disturbed by her recent videos. And this is where we're really starting to get to the heart of this relationship. So she asks how long she has until she'll do it. And I feel like the natural inclination is to read she's talking about suicide. Mm hmm. And then he kind of reminds her or tells her like, Hey, we're actually just playing a game. It's a massive multiplayer role playing game. And your videos have gotten too intense. Like, have you remembered that this is all just make believe, which is a fairly big statement coming from him because he is literally spending all of his time watching these fucking videos. Well, and
3: that's where, too, though, the fact that we don't see what her outside life is like, Like again, mm-hmm. with her family, with her friends, if she has any friends. Does she even go to school? Yeah. like Yeah. We, we, and that's why I could think, like, maybe it's might be Jarve or someone because we're not seeing that. But again, that's the point with, with and Bruns, uh, what she chooses to do with
2: the POV of this film. But mm-hmm. yeah. Oof, oof. Yeah. So Casey goes on. She almost gets angry. About this or she gets frustrated with him and she demands to know if he thought that she was going to kill herself or someone else, which is kind of ironic because she did say that in those New Year's video, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So she, she gets upset to the point where she's kind of softly crying and he mentions that he considered calling the police and then she gets mad she insists that the videos are pretend and that casey isn't even her name which i don't know about youtube but Mm -hmm. the first time i saw this it threw me for a loop because i realized oh i default just assumed her name was casey and i realized oh she could have been faking this whole fucking time that really may not be her name well and okay i'm not saying this is the thing
3: but what if it was like she was the 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 liar the whole time I and mean, not just
2: about her name but about everything and she was playing mm-hmm. this old man oh absolutely it could be that like
0: page out of my book yeah <laughs> this could be a
2: Mary Beth catfishing kind of thing i assumed a different personality because i wanted to lure people in and fuck with them mm-hmm. uh so she ends up hanging up on this video call and then she messages him immediately thereafter saying don't call her again and then she ends up by calling him a pedophile yeah so, And okay. we don't,
3: we, I don't think we see Casey
2: again for the rest of this movie, do we? We see her distorted face. Got but it. Yes. We don't see her interacting or posting any other videos. Mm-hmm. So we're still following JLB. He basically is very upset. He wanders around his house. He almost doesn't seem to know what to do with himself. And then he decides, okay, he's going to try her again. He tries to call her on Skype multiple times. We hear her. We don't really see it. And then at the end, we see him messaging her, just don't do it. Please keep making videos. It's like he's an addict, but also a concerned parent and also a pedophile who doesn't want to lose the person they're obsessed with.
0: And I don't think he knows what he is, either. No. I think the relationship spiraled to a point where he doesn't know even what the fuck he's doing. Mm-hmm. While she was like, uh, I think this is, I'm in too deep.
2: Yeah, like, I've gone too far and now.
0: that's hard, <laughs> And that's hard to do, though. Like, if you talk to someone like that for a long time, it's hard to say no, because they yeah. can bother the shit out of you. Like, they mm-hmm. can really, like, get in your shit. It's It's wild.
2: Yeah, I mean, we also don't know how much time has passed. Like, the New Year's video is telling because we get a sense, okay, like, now we know compared to when the first video was made. This whole film feels like it could just be taking place in a liminal state. Like, I don't really know what's real at this point. Right. So we fade to black and we see Casey's distorted face. I do like the way that this is shot because it kind of looks like a digital pixelation, like we're watching this on an old VHS copy that has gone through a lot of wear and tear. There's flickering neon light across her face. It's just, a, uh, it's very haunting and a little bit surreal. And then we hear this upbeat electronica music and once again the audio from the dumbass waterfalls video plays, I swear someday I'm just going to disappear and you won't have any idea what happened to me. And it's like, okay, we're not seeing Casey again after this. Is this for us? Is this for JLB? Did she just stop making videos because she realized she had gotten in too deep? Does she die by suicide? Like, question mark, question mark, question mark. Right. Right. Okay, so now we're up to the final scene. So in voiceover, JLB explains that Casey reached out a year later to apologize. She had been in assisted care, and she only now feels comfortable writing. So he records a message, and they meet in person. They have an awkward conversation. She apologizes for what she said. She says she made it to the heart of the fair, but something drew her back as though she's insinuating it was him. So
3: are are we... I know that she's talking about the, the the game, but are we also kind of insinuating that going to the fair is suicide? So she was like that close to to pulling the right <laughs> pulling the metaphorical trigger, mm-hmm. um, and then yeah, like what her memory of him brought like, stopped her
2: from doing it. Yes, and so is like oh yeah we had this connection because you were so close to that edge and the thing that prevented you wasn't just me it was me having my hand on the screen all night long kind of like willing you to stay and and stick around and then he elaborates like at this point in their meetup their physical meetup that he claims they had they ate some cheap pizza they go back to the subway and then they go their separate ways and then there's this very long silent pause and the movie fades to black And that's how the movie ends. And I would like to hear how both of you interpret this final scene. Well, now that y'all are like,
3: (laughs) after this whole conversation, I know I'm like, well, shit, did he murder her? And then this is like what we are left with.
2: (laughs) Okay, so that's literally what I thought happened the first time I saw this. I was like, he fucking killed her. And then he created this elaborate fantasy narrative in his mind where they had a happy reconciliation. And the second time around, I think that he has just fabricated this and that he never heard from her again. In his need for closure and to paint himself as something other than a bad dude, he crafts this like, no, we got back together and it was okay and I saved her. So he repaints himself as the good guy, which is the same way that we often see people do when they get called out for their bullshit online, right? Like they reframe that narrative like, no, I'm a good person actually
0: yeah and i so i actually had this weird interpretation that like he he found her and saw her from afar and like cornered her and then they had a really awkward interaction and he fabricated it as like a oh it was great in reality she was like what the fuck so that Mm. i don't i cannot for the life of me tell you why i had that vibe but like it gave me that vibe of someone who imagined a very positive interaction that was actually very negative
2: but you actually believe that he did interact with her again
0: I do believe he interacted with her. Is there
2: any, any
3: world in which y'all believe what he is saying? Like the way that he is recounting
2: it? I don't think so.
0: I don't think so. I don't think so. I think because this movie is so wrapped up in like the idea of truth telling, I I just can't. There's no, there's no way I'd ever be convinced.
3: So this will speak to my gullible gullibility because literally I watch this and I'm like, all right. Cool. I'm taking that at face value. Okay. Movie's over.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You're like, okay, nice. We don't see Casey's side of the story, but I guess I'll trust JLB. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) But obviously I'm opening up my mind to other possibilities now
3: because of this conversation.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's funny, right? Because the way that we've been talking about JLB, probably if people haven't seen this movie, they probably have a very certain idea of what he looks like or how he acts. And you're probably wrong. Because he's actually not nefarious. He's not ominous. He doesn't. He doesn't look like a villain. He's not twirling a mustache. Like he's actually a very just kind of plain, everyday sort of guy. Mm-hmm. But that's also exactly what I imagine when I think of a serial killer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: Uh, I don't know. Call it the optimist in me. But of course, when you have Scho- Schoenberg's backstory with her mm-hmm. predator, uh, then yeah, that that would kind of track with JLB's characterization in this film. Right. Uh yeah. I mean that that is we're all going to the world's fair. Do we have any final thoughts on this film, y'all?
0: I'm obsessed with this movie. I haven't been able to stop thinking about it since I saw it. I think it's an incredible incredibly complex especially if it's conversation, representation of like what the internet is and portrayal of yourself and truth telling and what we believe versus what what we, be, what we fall for and what we choose to believe versus what we question. And I think it's just such a a film for our time in mm-hmm. such an incredible way. And it's so fucking queer. And I love that a lot. I think it's doing so much in such a skillful way. Yeah. And it obviously unlocks some weird ass memories of when I was a kid.
3: So it did, <laughs> it,
0: it did its job for me on a personal level.
2: There you go.
3: Yeah, I um, I liked this. I don't love it. It's definitely a film that we I mean, again, going into Schoenberg's uh, uh, her interviews and her director statement, like to me, that added layers to the film that enriched my second viewing experience. Right. But then I'm a little conflicted about that because I'm kind of like, well, should I have to have that information to to make more connections or open up more layers to, to a film? And I'm of two minds because it's like, well, like then we're getting into intent. Should the work stand on its own? Should it not? Uh, blah, 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 blah. I'm glad that I know these things about it. But then I'm but then I'm left there wondering, well, but maybe should the film have done a better job of conveying that to me? Or maybe it does. And I just wasn't picking up on it as a viewer.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, I I ended up treating this a bit like a David Lynch film or even a David Cronenberg film in the Mm -hmm. way that I didn't always need clear cut answers because I was more invested in my kind of emotional response to the film and I can definitely see a bunch of people watching this and feeling like oh it's not a horror film or it's not horrific enough or there isn't enough that happens and I can totally appreciate why people would think that but I feel like it's a movie that sits with you and as I said it's more it's more about the emotional beats and kind of what it brings out in you as a viewer and thinking about how you do things online like that to me is more powerful than the actual narrative of the film right
0: i agree with that 100
3: Mm -hmm. percent. it's yeah it is an experience more so than it is like a movie but it is both (laughs) right yeah (laughs) yeah well, okay, everyone. So before we announce what we're covering next week, uh, Mary Beth, thank you for coming on to this because I feel like this was um, a treat to unpack.
0: <laughs> it's, it seriously was. So thank you so much for having me on to chat about it.
3: Of course. But let everyone know, where can they find you on social media?
0: So they can find me on Twitter at MB mbmcandrews. That's where they'll see all my work and all the weird things I talk about. Uh, follow Dread Central at Dread Central. We have incredible articles. We post every day, written mm-hmm. by me and hm. some uh, super incredible writers. So follow that. And you can also follow my podcast. You can follow at Scarred Podcast for Scarred for Life, and you can follow at Wona Podcast for Watch Once Never Again.
3: There you go. Peace. Well, if you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us on Twitter and Instagram at horrorqueers. Also, Facebook. Uh, join our Facebook Horror Queers group to hang out with other listeners. Go to our letterbox to keep track of all the films we've covered and see our ratings and, of course, link to old episodes. We've got a YouTube channel where you can go listen to our interviews with filmmakers, queer filmmakers, uh, or f- filmmakers of queer films. <laughs> uh, our monthly Horror Queers hangouts where we discuss uh, a wide range of topics with our peers. Mary Beth was actually on our one back in March where we discussed. Toxic Fandom. Toxic Fandom. Yes. <laughs> if you have a moment, please rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice. And if you want even more content, please support the show by becoming a patron at patreon.com/slash horrorqueers. Um We are now in May, everybody. So go subscribe to get episodes on horror movies that make us cry. The new controversial zombie film, The Sadness, the remake of Firestarter, Alex Garland's Men. And an audio commentary on 28 Weeks Later to commemorate its 15th anniversary. Oh, boy. Yep. Mm-hmm. I know. Mm-hmm. That's a good movie, though. I love
2: that movie. Uh-huh.
3: <laughs> Joe. Yes. What are we checking out next week? Oh, God a fun one
2: (laughs) (laughs) it could not be a harder left turn from what we have just talked about which is like moody and addressing mental health issues and like online digital literacy and stuff and it's like cool so much like meat and existential shit yeah next week let's talk about a friday the 13th film so (laughs) but but one you have not seen before i don't think i've seen this one it's it, uh, we've talked about this before they yes. all just blend together so it's entirely possible i've seen this a billion times or never but uh we are going to be looking at part six which is jason lives the meadow the
3: only reason why i'm like you would remember is because it literally opens with the james bond homage with jason walking through an eyeball slashing the screen and blood drops i mean sure i feel like i've seen that but i don't know if it's just a still or a clip oh, man. well nevertheless if you have seen or not i'm so excited y'all this is the meta one it's very tongue-in-cheek and it's just i mean it's still a friday the 13th film so it's not gonna like right you know change the course of horror history but it's really good <laughs> okay well i'm excited as am i but until next week and until friday the 13th oh my fucking no we can cross out we're all going to the world's fair and cross out horror queers! <laughs>